Okay, we have a guest in our service today. Uh, Scott and Jenny Phillips are here all the way from Indonesia, wherever that is. Uh, they're back uh, just for a short time, then they're going back. Uh, we've uh, known this couple for a while. Uh, a number of people in our church have known them for quite some time. And uh, Scott and Jenny, both of you, come on up here right now. And uh, okay, you got your, do, you, do you have your mic on? I do have a mic Oh, you're ready to roll. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give this to you. I know I want to hear a word from Jenny, too, Scott. I, I know she, you planned that in your plan, so. Hi. Oh, yeah. Um, my wife doesn't usually get up and talk a whole lot, so I'll, I'll just right off the bat tell you guys uh, where we are, what we've been doing. A lot of you guys, man, I've been blessed already this morning to talk to a lot of you and just to see that you've been following along. A lot of you know the names of the people we've been working with. You've been reading the updates and praying by name for the people we're working with, and I'm, I've just been blessed by that. And I want to right off the bat thank you for that. Uh, we were here about five and a half years ago. And uh, we came and we shared at two Sunday school classes. One was Sweet 60s and one was Upper Room Sunday School class. And we also shared uh, for the youth at the school. And uh, so when we're coming back now, there was people way back then that said, we're going to be praying for you. you know. And you guys have been praying for us, and we thank you for being faithful to that. Um, since we've left, there's been a lot that's happened. Why don't you tell them what, where, where we went first and what we did our first year? Okay. Um... When we left you guys about five years ago, we went directly to the island of Java. That's the main island in Indonesia. Um, we spent about a year there learning Indonesian, the language that's spoken on all the islands there and in the main cities. And so after a year of learning Indonesian, um, we moved to Papua, where um, the Dao tribe is. And that's where we spent about six months in the cities there, um, just surveying getting to know all the information we could about the different tribal groups in Papua. There's um, around 200, 250 languages there all in Papua, this very small island, but tons of languages there, and uh, a lot of unreached people groups. So we found one tribe, the Dao tribe, that didn't have a church of any kind, didn't even know uh, what Indonesia was, what country they're in. They just live in their little valley system, and... Uh, just know how to live and survive every day. So uh, we took surveys into there by boat, by hiking, and um, yeah, they were very friendly people, and uh, we communicated with them through a translator at that time because they're monolingual. They didn't know Indonesian themselves, and we didn't know their language. So um, they invited us in. We started building a house, and uh, we started learning their language. Just uh, There's no books to learn their language, so it was just like you know, hand motions at first and uh, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, the Lord blessed our language study, and, and in about a year, about 14 months, we were able to start translating Bible lessons and uh, Bible scriptures in order to get ready to teach them. Yeah, and then we, then we began teaching them when we finally had their language and had all that stuff translated. She had translated uh, key portions all the way from Genesis up through the life of Jesus because when you go to a place like that, they're, they're a complete 100% animist. You can't start with just Jesus because they believe in hundreds of spirits. And if you go straight to Jesus, then they're like, all right, throw them in with the rest. Now we've got 201 spirits. You have to start from creation and teach that there's one God that created all things 
and to start from there. We taught through the Old Testament, through the sacrificial system, and how Jesus was, was the type of, he was the Christ, the Lamb of God that was talked about in the Old Testament. So by the time we came to the New Testament and the life of Jesus, and they heard the prophecies that were made that this was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, they, they knew he was the promised one that they'd been hearing about for months. And so we just went, and then we talked through the life of Christ, got to the point where he died and everything, and talked about what that symbolized according to the Old Testament, and they understood well. And the, the Dow Church was born, and there was the first group of believers. So uh, we taught for two months straight, five days a week, two hours a day. Um, everybody within a day's hike came. Every weekend they would hike an entire, most, some, a lot of them an entire day, carrying their pigs, their kids, everything else on their backs in string net bags. And going back to their hamlets, getting enough food to come back and continue listening to the message every weekend for two months because they wanted to hear God's word. And uh, they kept on doing that. And then, yeah, we had believers. Ever since then, we've, we've been keeping on teaching them. We, uh, after that, we taught back through all of it all over again from Genesis to Life for Christ from a believer's perspective. Talking about, for instance, when they heard the, heard the story of Noah the first time, they were like the people outside the ark. The people condemned to die. They had no way of salvation. They were like the people that had rejected God. The second way through, now you're like the people in the ark. There's one door in the ark, the one way. Same as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is like the ark. There's only one way of salvation. Going back through all the Old Testament, through the life of Christ, and talking about it from a believer's standpoint. So they can rejoice in the difference that is now made. Then we started teaching through Acts. We talked through all of Acts and talk, talked about uh, how a church should function according to the teachings of the New Testament. And uh, now they're functioning as a church according to Acts. Uh, we went on to uh, teach through Romans 1 through 8 before we left so they could understand their position in Christ, the workings of the Holy Spirit, and how they can live according to the power of the Spirit. And uh, then uh, we had a couple guys that were well enough teachers, and we left them there, and now they're teaching themselves while we're on furlough, and we're going to go back. And one thing we forgot to mention in there, we had to make an alphabet for their language. It was an unwritten language, and teach them how to read and write. So the people have been learned how to read and write in the past year and a half, and now some of them are teaching their own people reading God's Word in their own language, which she has translated. Tell them a little about, bit about where you're at in translation. Uh, okay, so he is the teacher, and he has been making Bible lessons this whole time since we learned the Tao language. And uh, I work full-time on Bible, just Bible translation. They don't have... Um, any part of the Bible in their language um, at all. So we started in Genesis, and uh, by God's grace, we uh, printed out Genesis and got that in a nice little book form and uh, got that to them. Mark is finished, and also right before we left, we finished Acts. And so we print them out in the city. We go out to the city, print them out, bring them back. The people save up their own money. They want to buy them because in their culture, things that are valuable to them, they pay money for or they pay their shells or whatever. And so, yeah, they wanted to purchase them themselves. And, um, yeah, Romans is almost done and almost almost ready to be printed uh, the next time we go in. Yep. Altogether, she's got about 25% of the New Testament in rough draft or finished form. And when we go back and start our next term, she's hoping to get the rest of the New Testament done. That's the goal for the next term. So uh, that's where we're at. But we're going to show you a video clip in a second here. I want you guys to see what you've been standing behind with your own eyes. Uh, we've... Right, the last two days we were in Dow, we asked the Dow people a couple questions. Of course, they don't speak English, so we had to translate it into, into English. We did that over the past couple weeks, and it's going to be written at the bottom of the screen. I apologize, it's going to be a little bit small, maybe a little bit fast for some of you, but just try to follow along. And Daapoi, Wikipai, Otopina, her main translation helper, Kogipia, all these guys that you guys have been, a lot of you have been reading about, you'll see their testimonies and read what they have to say about their life 
now, how it's different, now that they have God's Word. You'll read along the bottom of the screen, and then I'd like to share briefly from God's Word. So, here's that. What I want to talk to you about in the Scripture is something that God's been teaching me over the past couple of months. In my own personal devotions, I've been reading through First and Second Corinthians, and one passage that God has really been working on me through is First Corinthians chapter 9, if you've got your Bibles. Uh, chapter 9, verses 20 through, through 27, is uh, what I'm going to read. And uh, then I'm going to share with you a little bit about just what God's been teaching me through this. I'm going to go ahead and pray as well. Thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity this morning. Lord, I know we are nothing without you. I am nothing without you standing up here. Oh, my words are so inadequate, Lord. And without you coming here and causing your word to go forward... It's all a bunch of nothing. It's a bunch of junk, Lord. And I just ask that you'd come this morning, take your word, work in our hearts, make us alive, Lord. Make us to hear your message and to see it as a, as a, as a good flavor, a, a message um, that is a message of life and not a message of death like your word says it is to those that are perishing. Lord, cause it to be alive in us this morning and just to change us. Change me, Lord, as I'm speaking your word. Just uh, change us, Lord. Only you can do that. In uh, your name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 through, 22 through 27 say this. It's Paul speaking. Paul says, When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. When I read these verses, I admire Paul. I admire the man that I see in these Scriptures. Because I see him living and running for something that to him was greater and worth more than anything else that he had encountered. I see him holding up the prize that was at the end of his at the end of his race as a prize that is worth running for. A prize that would not he would not trade it in for anything. No exceptions. He will run the hardest he can to attain that prize to the best of his ability and put everything he has got into that race in order to gain what is at the end of that race. That is what I see when I see this message. And so I see that there is a prize worth running for, not only for Paul, but for us, and worth running hard for and worth enduring for. That's what God shows me when I read this passage. He says, I do everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. In verses 22 through 23. There wasn't any exception clauses in there. A lot of times, you know, just as missionaries... We go to a weird place, you know, and we eat some weird foods. You know, we leave behind family. We do, we do some interesting things. And we hear a lot, of, a lot of people will say something like, Oh, I could never 
do what you're doing because I couldn't live in a place where there's snakes. I couldn't eat that food, that, uh, some of the food that you guys have seen in the videos. You know, eat a rat, eat this, or eat whatever else. But when I read the words of Paul, there are no exceptions. No exception clauses. I will do anything. I will do everything. I will endure for that prize. And in order to what? According to verse 22 and 23, he says, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Why was that message worth so much to him? Why was it worth so much to him to where there was no exceptions, no rules, no reserves? The reason why is because he saw the worth of it. He saw the worth of the prize at the end, and he realized that it was worth great, it was of greater worth than anything else on this earth. That is what he saw. And as he goes on to verses 24 through 25, it goes on and it tells specifically what that prize was that was worth so much to him. He says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. He says that prize is worth running for. Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. The last couple of nights I've been sitting in Mark's living room watching uh, the Olympics with him. A lot of you guys have been watching the Olympics. And just in the last couple of nights, one of the things that we were looking at was the American team passing the baton uh, in you, whatever they call that, where they're all running and passing the baton. And one of them drops the baton. I think on both teams, was it? The men's and the women's team? I'm not sure. But, you know, they were disqualified. They'd been working so hard. They'd come to the race. One little mistake, they dropped the baton, and it's all over. And to think training and training and training and running hard, and then it's over. You're out of the race. You know, and to, to think about that, that's the image that comes to mind when I see this. And these people, what are they running for? What are they running for? A gold medal and some recognition. That's, what's it, that would, that's what their prize is. The question I have for you this morning and for myself is, what is our message worth? Is it worth more than a piece of gold that big and some glory? I think so. I think so. It is worth infinitely more than that. And the reason that oftentimes I myself do not run hard is because I do not see the worth of our prize. I forget about it. I forget about the fact that what we are running for is greater than anything else in existence. The worth of our message is so infinitely valuable. It's greater than anything else. And Paul realized that. He says, these people, they run for a prize that's temporal. But he says, what do we run for? We run for an eternal prize. The benefits and the blessings in eternity for Paul far outweighed anything else on this earth. To the point to where food, leaving behind, you know, leaving behind family is a hard thing. You know, when we left five and a half years ago, oh man, you know, I don't know. I can't even explain to you the, the feelings that, that we would feel sometimes. And what we'd have to re remind ourselves when we were standing there with my mom crying, literally crying tears, not knowing whether we we're going to see her again or not, is to in your mind over and over again and say, our message is worth it. You think about the promises that we've been given in Scripture. In the book of Matthew where, 
where the, the promise is given to the disciples, there is no man, no man, that's left behind father and mother and brother and sister and children that will not get a hundred times return in this life and in the life to come. Do we believe that? What is our message worth? What is it worth? I think, you know, coming back to America and seeing what we have in America, we have so much. We have so much. God has blessed so many people, and myself included, you know, even, you know, even with these shoes, the fact that I was able to go out two days ago and buy a pair of $12 shoes. The shoes! That's a blessing. But think about what we have. Before we came back, we got a couple emails from family saying, oh, you never believe the state of things in the, in, in the U.S. It's a modern depression. We're in the new depression. We're thinking, man, things must really be bad. You know, we come back and we see that the same person that's telling us this is upset because now they can only have three cars instead of four. That's the depression. I don't doubt that some people are having financial struggles. I don't doubt it. But do we see past those earthly things? Do we see the greatest treasure? Do we see the greatest joy? And do we see it as something worth running for? Paul did. I want to see it that way. I want to see it that way. He says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. People ask us, why have you not come back till now? Why have you waited five, five and a half years to come back and see your family? Why? And the answer is, is because our message is worth it. Not only for us, but for the people that we're ministering to. It's worth it. Without this message, we are hopeless. Without this message, they are hopeless. And we need to live like it. Even when our families enter into the hospital, even when my moms have an open heart surgery, to say to my mom, Mom, can, what do you think? What do you think? I, I need to stay and give this message. Do you want me to come home? And she says, I may die, but we'll have a turning together. Keep on ministering there. She sees the worth of the message. And we stay. And then the people see the worth of the message because they see that even family is being left behind. When God is glorified, when, when His message, when Jesus Christ is held up as our greatest treasure, other people see that and in turn want to glorify God and wonder what it is that is worth it, worth running for. And it makes a difference. When submission, I heard this recently in a book, when submission is a pleasure, the, the kingdom is a treasure. The kingdom of God, eternal things. Or to flip it around, when, when submission is a pleasure... The kingdom is glorified to others as a treasure. Other people see that it's your treasure. And they wonder what's going on with that. I'm almost out of time. I'm going to read this last section. Verse 26 to 27, Paul says, So I run with purpose in every step. He doesn't just say how he does run. He says how he doesn't run also. He says, So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. What is shadow boxing? Just you know, going at the shadows, going at the air. He says, I don't waste my time. I run for the goal. Everything is for one purpose. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Everything he had was toward that goal because he saw it as the greatest prize. And we need to see it as the greatest prize. I need to see it as the greatest prize. What we do is we take God's gifts and we elevate those gifts to the place to where we love those gifts more than the gift giver himself. That's what we do. 
And then we live for those gifts and we forget about the gift giver. That's what I do. C.S. Lewis, he put it well when he said this. I read this in a book recently too. C.S. Lewis said this, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And what I plead with you this morning and with myself this morning is that we not settle for the lesser prize. That we not settle for the lesser joys. But that we see Jesus Christ and His message and the things that are promised to us on the other side of eternity and give them the worth that they deserve in our lives, and lift them up, and then in turn, be willing to say, this is my greatest prize, and like Paul, say, I would do anything and everything to where people can have this message, and to where I myself can enjoy the blessings, the eternal blessings of this message. The message needs to be lifted up. It needs to take its place in our life, the rightful place, and we need to be willing to live, and even if need be, be willing to die for that message. That's what needs to happen. And I look at these guys up here, Debatoma, one of the guys with the, the nose bones through his, through his nose, and he had a hair pick in, and he says, oh, friend, the things of this earth, they're so small. He says, only God, God alone is big. He didn't have much to begin with. The Tao people, all of their belongings fit in a bag about this big that hangs from their back. He didn't have much to begin with. But their belongings are important to them too. And he's telling me, oh, friend, the things of this earth are so small. And I'm thinking, you don't have anything to begin with. God is working in their hearts. And when I look at them, they see the treasure. They see what God is. We need to see things through the eyes of them. And God needs to be elevated in our lives. If we could humble ourselves, oh, man, we with all of our great technologies, all of our belongings, everything we've accomplished could humble ourselves to see things through the eyes of Debatoma, a little tribal guy, and say, oh, friend, the things of this world are so small, and put God in his rightful place. That is the point, when we'll be willing to leave behind the things of this earth in order that God's message will be spread, and then God's word will be carried to those hundreds of tribal groups left that are still waiting, just like these people used to be, for hope, and don't have it. And then someday when we're all together, us and my mom, you know, my family, and you guys, and the Dow guys, and people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, looking up as Revelation 7 describes and saying, glory be to you, God, the Lamb who sits on the throne, that day will be a greater joy than any other joy that we've ever experienced. It will be worth it. Our message will be worth it. It will. If we could only see that now. That's what God's teaching me in my own life. And I want to say to you guys, thank you for standing behind us. But let's together keep on striving to lift Jesus Christ up to where He should be in our lives and also in our communities. As you guys go to work, what is Christ worth? Ask it to yourselves and live for it, die for it. Oh, man, it will be worth it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.
Let's stand together. Let's just uh, take a minute right now and uh, bow our heads together and ask the Lord how he would have us apply uh, this message to our heart. You know, I think there was something for everyone here. Uh, Even though Scott uh, ministers uh, a long way away from here, uh, the message that he talked about is the message that uh, that brought us to church this morning. It's the message that gives us hope for the future. And maybe the Lord is uh, calling you to be a message carrier somewhere. Maybe, uh, maybe you'd like one of these days to go to some place like this. Or maybe you'd just like to go to the office on Monday with this passion that this message is is everything right now in the quietness of this hour to speak to the Lord and say Lord I surrender to you today I really do I surrender just guide me and lead me change my heart Lord give me the right priorities dear Lord we thank you for this time we as we have the invitation now we pray that you'll move among us Lord We pray for those in our church today that need Christ as their Savior. I pray that they may truly trust you as their Savior today. So that one of these days in heaven, all of us can rejoice around the throne of God. In the grace of God. As a result of the gospel of God. Lord, as we we sing to your name right now, I pray that you'll give us freedom to come and pray at the altar, Lord. Maybe there's somebody here that would like to come and say, Here am I, Lord, send me. Send me to the office. Send me to my co-worker. Send me to my friend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Feel freedom to come and pray as we sing to the Lord.